Welcome to episode 63 of The Process. Be you. Thank you for being here with me today. Appreciate you for coming. Change on me if you knew the truth Knowing I ain't the same person that was introduced Thank the Lord cause I don't look like what I've been through Here's a letter to you I'm back again Jesus on that cross I had to rise again Time to get my blessings, time to get my blessings I had to live my life, I had to learn my lessons I had to keep that smile but deep inside I'm stressing Just trying to keep my spirits from that deep depression Today I have joining me Dr. Amber Johnson on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Johnson. Hey, hey, thank you for having me. Hey, thank you for joining us on the first day of Women's History Month. We have a legendary history maker. Uh, We're going to get into your story, but could you tell the listeners where you're from? I am from Jackson, Mississippi, proud, born and raised in Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi. Are you a Jackson State University alum? I am. I am. That's where I got my master's in computer science. Oh, because we play y'all September fifth. FAMU Jackson State. The the mar- the marching five or something like that. You know? The marching five. <laughs> <laughs> we have jokes. Nah, but uh, what was it like growing up in Mississippi for you? Um, so I grew up in a predominantly black community. Mm-hmm. And um, Jackson is actually the capital of Mississippi. So um, when I was younger, there were a lot of businesses, um, a lot of things. I mean, I guess as much as you could do in in, um, in Mississippi. Yeah. To me, it was a lot of things to do. Um, it was pretty cool. I, my family's very close. Uh, my cousins, my first cousins are like my brothers and sisters. So um, we grew up playing sports together, grew up, you know, going to camps and things like that. So, yeah. Oh. What sport did you play? I played basketball and tennis. Tennis, tennis, that's awesome. How long did you play basketball? Um, I actually played un- up until the pandemic happened. Um, <laughs> no, I, I actually played basketball in college. And I mean, I just kind of never put the ball down. So even after I was still playing different leagues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So academically, you know, growing up in Mississippi, what was it like you know, academically for you? At the time, I thought it was, I mean, it was my norm. It wasn't until I left Mississippi and I started making friends with people from different backgrounds that I realized our education system was not good. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I had a, a strong foundation with my parents and, you know, the different things they would put me in, but the Jackson Public School System could definitely use some work. And that was, I don't know. I've been out of high school 16 years. <laughs> yeah. 
That's a wild. Well, so tell me, when did you start taking basketball serious? Um, at birth. So I was actually <laughs> born with a basketball. <laughs> no, I actually. So I, I, I've loved the game of basketball since I was a very small child. My mom played in college. My cousins, pretty much everybody in my family, played a sport, um, either basketball or baseball. So I've, I, you know, played in the YMCA league in third grade. That's the first time I remember playing on an organized team. Mm -hmm. And so, when how was that recruiting process for you when you got into high school? So I was I was kind of undersized. Mm -hmm. So I think about my tenth grade year, I transferred to Lanier High School, and I transferred from Callaway High School, which had three Dandy Dozens, and Dandy Dozens are the top players in the state. And so we had three of them on our team. So maximum 12 in the entire state, we had three on one team. So I was sitting on the bench. I was riding the pine. (laughs) (laughs) So I ended up transferring, and I started getting a lot of recognition my senior year. So coaches were calling from all over the country, um, from Division One, Division Two, junior college, and um, I, you know, I would talk to I talked to so many coaches. I remember talking to one coach, and I kind of put the phone down. <laughs> and at the end of the call, he was like, "What was my name again?" And I was like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "All right, Amber. Well, <laughs> good luck." <laughs> um, so I would say I didn't really have a whole lot of experience or guidance with it. Coaches just kind of called me mm-hmm. and I kind of signed from there. Where did you choose? What college did you choose and why? So I ended up signing with Tougaloo College, which is an HBCU in Jackson. And to be honest with you, the coach from Tougaloo came over one day to my high school and was like, you ready to sign? I was like, I don't care. <laughs> That's honestly how I picked the school. I really, really wanted to play for Jackson State. Unfortunately, that did not happen. And so I was kind of, you know, I was just there. And yeah, she came over. I signed. <laughs> That's how I made it there. So so you, you essentially stayed home for college. Uh, and so what was that transition like, though, from, you know, high school to college in terms of academically and as a student athlete? I think so I actually transferred again after my sophomore year in college so that was different Mm -hmm. but you know going from from high school to college I had a a wonderful coach and math teacher Erica Stringfellow who is one of my very dear friends now she would come over and actually like help me with my homework so she was still a full-time teacher and a basketball coach and she would come over um, to Tougaloo at night and helped me and tutor me. So that was awesome. So I had a a very good support system there. Mm -hmm. When I transferred to Lemoyne Owen, which is also an HBCU in Memphis, Tennessee, I, it was a lot different. So we were traveling. The conference was a lot more spread out than the conference that Tougaloo was in. So we would travel to South Carolina, to Georgia. We would spend weeks at a time away from campus. So, you know, trying to juggle that along with, you know, keeping my grades up, making sure I learned what I needed to learn in class. It was it was really tough. Like, I, I honestly, I look back and I'm like, I don't really know how I did it, but I mean, it got done, so. Yeah, yeah. So what did you, what did you learn about yourself 
you know, as a student athlete um, preparing to go to grad school, what did you learn about yourself during that process? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, it wasn't until, you know, I, I was in grad school that I kind of looked back on things and I was like, you know, I could do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and in undergrad, I played kind of like two and a half sports. So I played basketball, tennis, and I ran cross country. Mm-hmm. And I was also the president of the Student Athlete Association. I played Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. I was in like everything that you could be in. Wow. And I didn't know at the time, but that was actually giving me a whole lot of structure. When I got to grad school, um, during my second year, I was diagnosed with ADHD. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, looking back on those things that I did in undergrad, those things actually helped me focus because I had a schedule. I had people that depended on me. I had accountability and I kind of, you know, I had to be there. I had to do the things. So it was very helpful. So, you know, I learned, it, you know, kind of reflecting on things. But at the time, I was just doing what I needed to be, you know, what needed to be done. Yeah, yeah. So taking a step back a little bit, where where did you go to grad school? Uh, what was, what were you studying? And kind of a follow up question, you know, what led to the, the diagnosis of being having ADHD? So I started grad school at Jackson State with my master's in 2012, mm-hmm. and I was a LS MAMP bridge doctorate scholar which is a super awesome program um, that pays for the masters and exposes you to a lot of things that um, really strengthens you and help you get prepared for the phd mm-hmm. after graduating from jackson state i started at purdue also in computer science so i was having a difficult time you know just focusing i would you know when i couldn't study i would go to the gym i would play basketball I would cook, I would do things, you know, to kind of take my mind off of the studying or the lack thereof. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't working. Like I was <laughs> drinking coffee, like espresso shots every morning. Mm-hmm. And so after talking to my friend about it, he encouraged me to go get tested. And I was like, you know, yeah, okay. And I actually, you know, I started thinking about things after I filled out this paperwork that they gave me and I started remembering things. I was actually diagnosed with ADHD as a kid. Mm-hmm. So I called my mom and I said, mom, did I have ADHD as a kid? <laughs> she said, no, you had BAD. And I was like, my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, re- I remembered that. I remember some conversations, you know, that she had with some other adults where I was eavesdropping. And, you know, I, I talked about that in the sessions when I was, you know, getting tested. And after getting the diagnosis, I cried. And I didn't know how to cry. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't even know. It was, it was, it was, yeah, it was real awkward because I do this ugly cry anyway. Um, and, you know, they asked me how I felt. And it was, it was a relief because I felt like for so long I felt like something was wrong with me mm-hmm. I felt like you know maybe I was inadequate maybe I didn't I wasn't supposed to be in grad school maybe I couldn't do the work and you know after you know having these conversations with the doctors there's so many things that that came from that I learned how I learned mm-hmm. 
And I'm a visual learner. So my whole life, I would be in church, I would be in class and I would do it. I would draw all the choir, you know, the choir and the choir stand, the pastor and the congregation. I would draw my teachers, my classmates. And I would actually recall things from drawing people or drawing, you know, my environment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in some settings, it seemed like I was not paying attention, but it actually helped me focus. So knowing these different things about how I learned, it really helped me in the classroom. It helped me when I studied. And one of the things that the doctor told me was that everything that I was doing was what they tell people who have a diagnosis. Hmm. And I cried some more. (laughs) So I was like, well, there's no hope for me. Um, And she was like, you know, it's amazing that you've made it this far. You're in a PhD program and you've had ADHD your entire life. This is amazing. And I was like, yeah, but how can we, what what can I do? (laughs) Like, this is great, but what's next? Um, And so I think it really shed some light on ADHD and what it looks like. It's different for different people. And in the community that I came from, ADHD is not a thing. You are, you know, kids are are hard-headed or they are incapable. Like, there is no medical reason for you acting out. No, but I I definitely agree with you because, you know, I used to have the IEPs in high school. Um, I mean, in middle school, high school, I think all the way back to elementary school. And it was kind of a stigma that I ran away from um, just because I didn't want to be labeled. Mm-hmm. And and I played football myself. And I just didn't want to be labeled as an athlete that, you know, that had this issue and he needed these accommodations. But looking back at it now, you know, in the PhD program myself, it's like, well, I kind of understand, you know, why I needed it at the time, you know. But I want to ask you, just kind of going, taking a step back and looking at your experience, going to uh, attending two HBCUs, you know, what was it like from that transition from HBCU to now you're at, you know, uh, PWI? So my transition from an HBCU to a PWI was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so I, like I said, I came from a predominantly black community. I went to an all black preschool, middle school, high school, church, band camp, whatever it was, it was predominantly black. Mm -hmm. I eventually did internships and study abroad and things like that, where I was introduced to different cultures. So going to Purdue was a culture shock, but I didn't know it was a shock until about two years in. (laughs) So I, I talk to anybody. I make friends. I, you know, I don't know. I just meet people. Mm-hmm. And I, but I do remember Purdue has this like the world's largest drum, and oh, you know, sim- yeah, <laughs> similar to the Marching 100, you know, the boom is is it, you know, the the sonic boom of the South is everything, mm-hmm. and so I remember seeing this drum, and I was like, what <laughs> is this? <laughs> I'm used to I'm used to tigerettes and J sets and you know dancing and. <laughs> So, and it was not that. So that's one. (laughs) And the other thing is I was the only one. This was the first time in my life where I was really the only one in a different sense. So, you know, I played sports growing up. So I was always with the boys. I was playing two hand hand touch 
football, climbing trees. And, you know, so there were things that I didn't realize, you know, that there were stereotypes or there were things that I wasn't necessarily supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And so I get to Purdue and I'm the only black person in my class. And I'm one of very few women. Mm -hmm. You know, I come from an HBCU where I always have somebody to study with. I always have somebody to eat lunch with, to walk around with. And I, you know, I go into this community where I'm, I'm sitting and like, there are like three seats around me that are empty. Whoa. in a classroom yeah so it was it was difficult mentally but I didn't realize it early on I think I just kind of kept moving mm-hmm. which won't this episode won't air maybe for another couple of months but just for the audiences that they know that today is the first day of uh, women's history month so not only were you the one of the few or the only you were the first um in that program and so did you feel the weight of that in the program, you know, being the first, being the only uh, in that room? I didn't, you know, being the being the first, I didn't think about that until somebody said it. So it's kind of like people kind of found out about it and they would kind of brag about it. And I'm like, Shh, I'm not, <laughs> I need to graduate. Like, you know, so I didn't say anything. I didn't tell anybody. But being in a classroom, I didn't, I never thought anything about being the first. Or the, I think there are a couple of times I can remember where I actually, I felt isolated, like the only one, like I really felt the weight of it. And that's when I didn't have a study group or I remember I was supposed to work on a project with someone and eventually the girl was like, yeah, I'm gonna do it by myself. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but that was awesome because I ended up meeting one of my very good friends we ended up doing the project together but so it's like those things where i felt super isolated a lot of times something awesome came out of it it still sucked that it was isolating yeah um but the the weight of being the first i don't think it was necessarily weight or guilt of being the first but more so finishing i think as a phd student you feel like you start and you have to finish especially for um, students of color, black students. You feel like you have to finish for the culture, for your family, for whatever reason you feel the weight of that. So I can't necessarily say that it was it was on being the first per se. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely, I definitely feel you on that last point because I just uh, passed my qualifying exams and it's just- Hey, <laughs> let's go. So I'm trying to join you, you know, Ed, it's just I find it seems like I found more motivation after that. You know what I mean? Like I gotta finish. I gotta finish for my son. Yeah. For for this, for that. It's just I definitely feel you. But nonetheless, you know, you were the first. So what was it like graduating from Purdue University as the first? It was totally different from my experience there. Yeah. So it's kind of you know I went from you know I had an my first advisor told me within the first month of grad school, you know, maybe the PhD isn't for you. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should, you know, have you thought about going into industry? And I was like, what sis? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm getting this PhD. Like, I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Like if she if she didn't want me to succeed, she should have just been like, oh, you're doing great. Um, 
but the fact you know her saying like oh you you won't finish oh, okay you thought um <laughs> but so it was all of those things like that the, the failures all the failures that i had and just feeling like you know what you know every day i felt like somebody's gonna walk in and be like tap tap all right well you had your run come on time for you to go yeah. um and so once i finished it was like you know media outlets were calling I had little kids you know like i want to i want to do a report on you and i had people sending me emails and messages saying how inspiring it was and it was just totally different from you know some of the depression that i felt during the the six years i was at purdue yeah um some of the you know just the heaviness and the, and the weight of of being in indiana <laughs> being away from family being isolated so it was it was really awesome but it didn't there wasn't it wasn't like a switch like a switch flipped on yeah. i still felt all of those things um it was just you know now there was some light <laughs> you know, some light that was shining. Mm -hmm. And what did, what did you learn about yourself that, that contrast um, between, you know, kind of going through your process and, 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 you know, finally getting that degree, you know, what did you learn about yourself during that process? I'm freaking awesome. Yeah. Like I learned, I, I'm so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I can give other people their flowers easily. I, you tell me, you, you know, I don't know, you pick apples. That's, that's your everyday, you pick apples. I'm like, Monte's the best apple picker. Like, you don't know, like, I'm hype, you know. Yeah. yeah. When it comes to myself, it's, it's, it, it's different. So it taught me, you know, going through that whole process, my strength, my creativity, the, my research was about, my aunt who passed away my second year of grad school and she has COPD which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease mm -hmm. and that's what I did my dissertation on and I was told like you know this isn't a CS thing and you know there's no funding for this you don't have a team guess what that's what I did my dissertation on <laughs> yeah. a team formed a team was formed um, <laughs> funding was found so you know just how resourceful the my personality what i'm capable of it's freaking awesome you just brought up an interesting point um how do you feel about god making a way for you for your purpose even when you know people may doubt you so i applied for one grad school and one job and i prayed and i asked god to show me what he wanted me to do and let me know that it was him. A year before that, I was in Santa Barbara, California, and I had visited some family in LA. I was walking back from the train station and I was like, Lord, it's so hot. If somebody asked me if I needed a ride, I would get in the car. Kid you not, I look up, there's a red Prius in front of me. And this lady says, hey, you need a ride? And I was like, I'm tripping, I'm dehydrated, I'm delusional. <laughs> No, but anyway, I ended up like riding with these strangers, which I would never do. I'm from Mississippi, okay? I would never do this. But anyway, <laughs> ended up riding with these strangers and this lady, we ended up talking and she tells me about this program that, you know, it's 
they it's a fellowship that pays for underrepresented students to complete graduate degrees. And I'm like, cool, lady, just don't kill me. Like, just <laughs> get me out of the car. Whatever you but say. But anyway, so I, <laughs> so I look, I go and I look this up when I get home and I apply and I like email the the director of this this organization and I keep in touch with the director and I'm like, you know, they're like, make sure you apply and all this. And I apply. So when I so when I fast forward to a, a year later, I'm standing in my apartment and I get this notification, you got to step to Purdue. And I'm like, cool. So I'd already applied for this fellowship and I, you know, I told them like, hey, I got it to Purdue, just wanted to give you all an update. I get an email like the next day this or a couple, like a week later, I can't remember how long it was, but they were like, hey, like, you know, this is official, you've received this fellowship. I'm like, what? Wow. The job comes back to me and they're like, hey, you did so well, you passed this, exam that most people don't pass you're amazing we just don't have a position for you right now i was like say no more god i'm going to purdue <laughs> <laughs> so i think you know my whole journey has absolutely been me leaning on god and during the time that i was at purdue that is people ask you know did you ever want to quit did you ever feel like you were going to give up no i didn't because i would tell god i'd be like now lord you brought me here okay my mom and them was like, you need to work. Everybody I know was like, you need to get a job. You need some experience. God was like, go to Purdue. So I was like, Lord, look, I don't know what you're doing, but I need you to tell me something. Yeah. So my whole experience was nothing but God. Nothing but God. Amen. So, so once you graduated from Purdue, what was next for you? So I started as a software engineer in Northrop Grumman. Mm. And I I got accepted into the Future Technical Leaders Program, which is a rotational program that will like move you anywhere there's a Northrop office across the country to work on any project that you want to work on, basically. Mm -hmm. So I worked for Northrop for about a year, and I was I just wasn't fulfilled with it. I yeah, I just didn't like it, yeah. and. Um, Shortly after I graduated, I started the Cadult Life. The Cadult Life is an inspirational lifestyle of Caroline about being who you are no matter where you are. And so I left my job at Northrop to grow the Cadult Life full time. So so how, how was that, you know, working, walking away from a career path that you went to school for, you know, guaranteed check to you know, taking a chance on yourself, on your on your skill set that God kind of, basically the talent that God gave you versus the talent that you acquired through school. What was that like? So first, my husband is amazing. My husband is 100% supportive of whatever I do. He was actually the one that told me to quit. <laughs> <laughs> he told me to quit before I even started. He was like, yeah, I don't think you're gonna like this. And I was like, dude, are you kidding? Like, I'm gonna work, I have to work. He was like, okay. So every day he would, when I come home, he would be like, you know, you can quit, right? And I'm like, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think, you know, the adult life, while definitely at the moment, it is a t-shirt brand. Mm -hmm. But I think that the PhD 
definitely prepared me for running a business. So I talked about my research. I didn't have a research group. It was just me. My advisor was doing research in a totally different field than what I was doing. So I actually went out and found a team of doctors and data scientists to mentor me and to help me with my research. And so having my own business is kind of that. Like, you know, I've learned so much finances, marketing, branding, branding. I spent so much time in Indiana alone and figuring stuff out. And I think that those skills, the character that I built in the PhD program are just, they just transfer. It's just a different space. And you can kind of look at the PhD and your dissertation as your own business because it's yours and you're, you know, trying to sell it to your committee, to the university, to the, you know, to academia. So I don't think it was any different. And then aside from that, I'm a computer scientist. I'm a problem solver. And the awesome thing uh, that I can say about myself, like I'm really creative and I'm a problem solver. So I think, you know, I don't have a neurotypical brain. I think like colors and problem solving. (laughs) Um, So putting all those things together, it's, I think it it works for me. I think you you hit on something that's um, very important about grad school that I think is underrated is that, yeah, you go to learn, you know, to build a a expertise in a a certain subject matter, but you also build a skill set and that skill set can be transferred Mm -hmm. into different domains. And I think it's it's very, very valuable um, being able to extract that from your experience, but also for those listening that maybe wanted to go to grad school, keep that in mind that you're not just building an expertise, you're going to build a skill set around whatever it is you want to do. And so um, I want to ask you, just thinking about, you know, looking back over your life and the different transitions that you've had thus far, um, what advice would you give your younger self? You know, I kind of I kind of don't like that question because, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's such a, you know, you really have to get deep into it. And most of the time, the answers that you get are like, you know, be yourself, yeah. work hard. Listen, it's like go back and tell your eight year old self to be yourself. What does that even mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, to be honest with you, I would go back and tell myself to instead of buying Jordan's invest in Amazon in 2006. Um, <laughs> um, right. Listen, and to, listen, I don't even want to get on that. But yes, <laughs> absolutely. But no, I think, you know, it, if there were anything I would say, just feel like it's okay to cry. It's okay to be upset. Like feel all of your emotions. If there is a way that I could really, you know, teach my younger self that, Mm-hmm. And I say that because, you know, the community that I came from, there was there wasn't a lot of room for sadness. Yeah. You know, there's you had it was like two emotions that were available. <laughs> and that was, you know, anger and happiness. And I chose happiness most of the time. You know, so being in grad school, I learned all of those emotions. So when I said I didn't know how to cry, I am not kidding. I had to learn how to cry. (laughs) So, you know, telling my younger self, like, it's okay to cry. It's okay to 
feel all the things because that emotional intelligence is really important on your life on your life journey, no matter what that is. Hmm, that's real. I, I want to ask you know this this podcast is called the Process Podcast. Um, I want to ask you, what does trust in the process mean to you? I think trust in the process is you don't know what's going on. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, just be in the moment. Just, yeah. you know, people say trust the process. And while you're in the process, you, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that. Oh. <laughs> you don't want to hear that. Okay. Um, but, you know, what? whatever, I truly believe that God has what's best for us at all times. And even if it's not the, the the end is not what we expected it to be, it's always the best for us. Mm-hmm. If if we're trusting. And trusting the process to me means like trusting God. Trusting, you know, God's not leaning on not leaning on to my own understanding, but leaning on to, you know, what the Lord says. I wanna thank you. Dr. Johnson for joining us uh, to share your story and to being so transparent and open uh, with your responses. Uh, is there any lasting, do you have any lasting words that you want to leave with the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me. This is my first podcast and it has been awesome. Hopefully I don't have like an annoying squeaky voice. No, nah, it's cool. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would say be who you are no matter where you are. And that is actually the the slogan, I guess, or the tagline for the adult life. Mm-hmm. And I I came up with that after graduating, after reflecting, I was completely myself. The code switching, the you know, conforming to the environment that I was in, I didn't do that. And I actually made a conscious decision not to. And because I was my you know, I took my whole self into that environment. It was transformed. So many relationships were built, not not just between myself and other people, but between, you know, Purdue and the computer science department and other institutions, other people. And so you are where you are for a reason. And if you are not being your true self, then are you really there? Like, are you really giving value to that environment are you really getting value from that environment? I, you articulated what I always thought, and I, did, I couldn't articulate it like that. Is is I tell my wife all the time is that you know we hide all these things on our resume, mm-hmm. and, we, and we do all these things in job interviews. So when you accept a job and then you get there and you're uncomfortable, yep. it's yep. because you didn't authentically express yourself. You kind of just molded yourself to fit what they were looking for, and not saying, "Hey, this is who I am. Do you want me to work for you?" You know what I'm saying? Man. But no, so I think that's that's super important to me. So I think I, I'll just tell you about my my dissertation experience. My dis I I wanted my dissertation to be about COPD because I learned so much about it. I was super close to my aunt. She was diagnosed with COPD the year before I was born. So my entire life, that was the norm for me. The her going to the hospital for two weeks out of the year, the oxygen machine, her coughing, and all this kind of stuff. I didn't see it as an illness. It was just her. Yeah. So, you know, after she died, that's when I learned about COPD and that she even had it. Wow. And I remember I was doing B2B, so that's cars talking to one another, the whole autonomous vehicle and stuff. I was doing that kind of research and I hated it. It's cool, it's dope, but I ain't like it. Yeah. And 
I remember talking to one of my professors and I was like, you know, I don't really like this research, but it'll it'll give me a PhD. I'll graduate. And I, he was like, well, what, you really, what do you really want to do? And I remember the night my aunt died, I, talk, I was talking to her, like I talked to her about an hour before she died. And she was like trying to get me to come home. She was like, you can do that, Jackson State. <laughs> and I'm like, nah, um, you know, I don't think Jackson State had a program at the time. But she's like, you know, well, maybe you can do some computer stuff to help me breathe. And so I laugh. I'm like, yeah, I can, you know, program a mechanical lung or something like that. Yeah. And so as I'm sitting there talking to my professor about a year later or two years later, I'm like, I hear this. I hear this. I hear this in my head as he's talking. Like everything else went mute in the room. And I hear her say, maybe you can do some of the computer stuff to help me breathe. Yeah. And I like. I'm like, I sat straight up and I said, I know what I'm, I know what I'm, what I'm gonna do. Wow. And, you know, and I, and the Lord spoke to me. And so he said, you know, there's, have you ever heard of Archie? Archie is the registry's healthcare for uh, engineering at Purdue and Discovery Park. He was like, they just got a new director, reach out to them. So I put together this little kind of a proposal. It was just like a page or two. And I reached out to them. The director was like, I would like to meet with you. Do you have time? I'm like, yes, I have time to meet with the director. What do you mean? So anyway, I go over and he's like, I love this. We would like to give you, you know, this is this is what we have. For you. We have doctors. We have, we have, you have an office that we would like for you to sit over here. We'd like for you to work with our data scientists. These were all the things when I said, I wanted to do this kind of research. These are all the things I was like, I don't have data. I don't have a team. I don't have funding for this. Yeah. All of these things, boom, right there. My yeah. advisor was was very hands off to the point where I was like on my own. So I didn't have guidance. All of that came. And when, so that's when we talk about, you know, God laying out a path. First of all, that's where the Lord told me to go. The Lord mm-hmm. told me to go to Purdue. So it was it was no way he was gonna send me there and not have things prepared for me, right? Yeah. Um, even when I couldn't see it. And then while I was doing my dissertation, I remember after doing it, I was um, you know, I, I was getting ready to defend and I met with a bunch of my friends and you know, even my husband, other people who were proofing were like, you know, you, this is how you write. And this is, you know, scientific way. So they were like marking up my dissertation. Like, you don't, mm-mm, don't say it like this. And I'm like, I'm a storyteller. And actually my dissertation is a story yeah. because I got to this because my aunt died. I looked at this data and tried to make sense of it. And I ended up building something for myself so I can see the data. I showed it to a doctor. The doctor was like, this is amazing. Where did you buy this software? And I'm like, I just wrote it in my apartment um (laughs) and that became a part of my you know my my dissertation so like this whole thing happened in the storyline and I was being told like this is not how you write a dissertation so I tried to create my slides and stuff in my defense in a scientific way you know and it was not working for me your girl was struggling (laughs) and when I presented to my friends they were like we don't understand. I was on the second slide. They were like, um, what is, I don't, what, what is this about? And I was like, y'all. So I, I broke it out. Auntie died. 
I wanted to do COPD. I got this data. The data was trash. I cleaned it up. Like I went through and they were like, so say that. And I'm like, I can't. They were like, no, you need to say that. So <laughs> my dissertation, my defense, which was on Facebook Live, because my family, you know, a lot of my family couldn't be there. Um, my defense was me telling a story as if I was talking to my friends. I had emojis and gifts and I told jokes and it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so much different than when I was trying to fit into what the computer science dissertation looked like. Yeah. Because, and I, and I remember telling two of my mentors, <laughs> I had gotten like an hour of sleep and I went to do a practice run with them. And I, and before I got started, they were like, how long is your presentation? I was like, it's about an hour. They're like, oh, you need to take it down. And and I was like, look, like they were like, you know, this dissertation, I mean, defenses aren't that long in there. I was like, look, I'm a black woman in computer science. I'm, I'm, I'm unlike anything that this university has ever seen. Yeah. The way that I speak, like my Southern drawl, my personality that is does not fit stereotype of a, a programmer. I was like, y'all gonna get this if it's three hours. <laughs> I was like, I've been here for six years. If my defense is three hours, I mean, y'all better bring a snack. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were like, okay. So I did it. They were like, that's awesome. And I was like, you know, and I started building confidence like that because every time I tried to do it as somebody else, it didn't work out for me. Yeah, you weren't you wanted your you wasn't your authentic self. Exactly. If even to the point of the outfit that I wore, I still get teased about my dissertation 11s because I wore some Birkenstock in my. <laughs> <laughs> I wore I wore a pencil skirt and a blouse with some Birkenstock. <laughs> my my guy was like, "You need to put on some heels." Come on, say, do you know I would have fallen like before? <laughs> <laughs> I can't walk in heels. I would. What I really wanted to do was wear some J's and some joggers. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I souped it up a little bit. Um, but that's why I say just be you. Because even, you know, throughout my time in that department, when I walked, when I first walked in, the, the, it was very, it wasn't a community. Yeah. It didn't feel like a community. I came from HBCUs where it's a fashion show on the yard every Wednesday. Yeah. It's a, you know, like, you know, people, you talk to people, you speak just because, and that wasn't the case. So I walked into the department the first day and I was like, hey, y'all, how y'all doing? Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> I knew everybody and people would kind of look at me like, who is this girl? Mm -hmm. And eventually it got to the point where people were walking up to me and when I'm busy, I'd be like, okay, let me not make eye contact because I got something to do. And people yeah. like, Amber, wait, you know? <laughs> and so um, even like, you know, I was the president of the graduate student board. I created mentoring programs and a social power hour where students could present their research for in, um, and receive prizes, which helped them, you know, with with speaking, public speaking, and to get feedback on. Like I created these things because I didn't have it, yeah. which in turn helped so many other people who also didn't have it that I didn't know. Yeah. And so, what if I wasn't that person what if I wasn't me what if I just went in like okay nobody else looked like me nobody else like let me just do my work and go back to, I, first of all I would have been miserable <laughs> <laughs> and then so many people would not have met would not 
if this Purdue still wouldn't have a black woman to have graduated. Yeah. I talk about this a lot on the podcast. Some listeners may have heard it before. And it's about your fingerprint or your mark. And mm-hmm. God gives everyone different fingerprints. So me and you were to touch a door or a table. Someone mm-hmm. can come in and tell who touched the door at where. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you did at Purdue is that you left your fingerprint, your mark, which is authentic to you. You know what I mean? And I think that's needed in a lot of different spaces, but it's hard to get to sometimes. You know what I mean? Because I'm just glad you did it. You know what I mean? Because like you said, you grad Amber graduated from Purdue, the first black mm-hmm. woman in computer science. But it was also your authentic self because it may be another black woman who comes in, but it won't be Amber. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm glad you did it that way, and I'm glad you shared that. Where can the listeners, you know, tap into a adult life, and you know, if they have any feedback about the episode, or maybe they want to have you on their podcast, where can they reach out to you? Where can they find you on social media? I am. Call me Rudy on Instagram. I call me Rudy on Twitter. The Cadult Life on every platform. Finally got a TikTok. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, reach out to me. I respond to DMs. Um, yeah, shoot me an email. Shoot me yes, the CadultLife.com. This episode was brought to you by Overcome Achieve Clothing. Allow what you have overcome to fuel the flame of persistence as you face and conquer your next challenge. Wear your truth. Overcome. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.